everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Zach on Film. Joining us, like always, Stephen Schleicher. Hey, Zach. How hey, are you? Hey, Stephen. I'm, I'm great. How are you? I'm doing good. And all the way over there across the, the state is Matthew Peterson. How are you, brother? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm doing oh, fine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot of that this week. Because yeah. as our continual exploration of the films that influence the greatest Marvel movie to date, Logan, we are watching Darren Aronofsky's, what year was this, 2008, 2008. The Wrestler, mm-hmm. a oh. film that I have been meaning to watch since about 2010 when I watched Black Swan. Oh, because of Aronofsky? <laughs> yeah, because of Aron- yeah. Aronofsky. He's got a pretty good, I mean, Darren Aronofsky has a really good slate of movies um, yeah. For you to watch, and I don't know if you have seen them all. You've I have seen se- Pie. I've seen Pie. Um, yeah. Requiem for a Dream. I oh, again God. another probably, one I have. That you I probably watched. ought to watch that now. Yeah, be- that's you a watch. Good one. You should watch it before November because it'll mm-hmm. old, utterly depress you. Okay, great. Um, yeah. Let's see. Below. Below the fountain. The fountain? No, I, fountain I've, is fountain is really trippy. I've seen. Yeah. Yeah, see, A Requiem for a Dream and The Fountain are the two ones I've been meaning to watch. I've seen Pi and The Wrestler mm-hmm. and Black Swan and Noah. Fighter. Fighter? Yeah, he directed that? Mm-hmm. No, I haven't the seen fighter? that. Zipper? I didn't know he directed that. Jackie? Aftermath? No. Apparently there's a lot more than I haven't seen. Coming he out in 2018, Aftermath? White Boy... Wait, am I thinking of the same thing? White Boy Rich? With Schwarzenegger? Oh, I clicked on producer. What am I doing? Yes, with Schwarzenegger. Oh. Wait, he just did that one? That just uh, he's out? a producer. Oh, he's a producer on it. On yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just talking oh, about okay. directing stuff. Um, yeah, so, yeah, so it would be, uh, Below and uh, The Fighter uh, he directed and uh, Mother he directed. So okay. if you haven't seen The Fountain, The Fountain is super trippy. Also uh, stars um, Hugh Jackman. Okay. Yeah. It's really interesting. Uh, he is essentially, an, well, he is an immortal. Sweet. Right. Uh, and um, the uh, Requiem for a Dream. Boy, That's Jared you, Leto, you, isn't it? Uh, Jared, is he in that yeah. Like? He's yeah, in Yeah, Jared Leto and uh, Colleen Dewhurst, I believe, is And Marion Wayans is in there yeah. in a um, it prison was, scene. And that one's uh, really weird, right? It is super depressing. See, the thing is, is, is it looks at how it, drug addiction changes people and how uh, drug addiction comes about in a bunch of different ways, like... Yeah. The mother gets addicted essentially to um, caffeine, caffeine pills, okay. speed, uh, and how that yep. ruins her life. Uh, Marlon Wayans and I think Jared Leto both get involved in heroin. Yeah. And they one. both, and at least one of them ends up in prison, if I remember correctly. Okay. Yes. And then uh, Jennifer Connelly, poor, poor Jennifer Connelly, decides she wants to turn tricks to fund her drug addiction well, and she that doesn't goes down. want to she feels like she she just does yeah and that all it's, leads into horrible horrible things in yeah. the end for those of you that I have will, seen that i will oh, say one thing about that movie that i thought was unthinkable. super excited to watch that now <laughs> I, you know i've been meaning to watch that again i've only been able to watch it once yeah what were you gonna say matthew Sorry, my audio went funky. Oh, it's fine. Can you? What were you yeah, what were you going to say about watching it, Requiem? It it did the unthinkable in that it made the idea of Jennifer Jennifer Connelly naked in no way exciting and actually horrifying to me. And that is that's pretty amazing when you have a scene that could have been prurient and weird and creepy 
And it actually ends up being something that underlines the tragedy. And you're like, this is not sexy at all. This is terrible. And that that's a heavy duty piece of work. That's a very difficult thing to do. And he pulls it off in that sequence. So yeah, Aronofsky yeah. is certainly not known for making real happy go lucky movies because yeah. Pi we watched is uh, mm-hmm. kind of a downer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, this is a downer. What do you Black think that Swan means? is a downer. What do you think that means? Noah is not necessarily a happy oh, movie a trip, either. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the whole world is a Noah, right? Yeah. Save for a bunch of people in a rainbow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, so I don't know. Aronofsky is, is like exploring a, uh, a side of humanity that is not one people often want to see in their films because you know when you talk about film as escapism you'd like to mm-hmm. e- escape the dreariness and in the horribleness of presumably your life and the world that is happening around you so you go watch you know transformers and you go watch your comedies with your uh, with seth rogan and um so to go to a theater and to quote unquote escape for two hours and watch a depressing film is a mm-hmm. different form of entertainment but but I'm, in a way, I, I feel like, and this is something that I've always believed, that people, you know, will be like, why do you listen to that weird, dark emo music sometimes? Because sometimes you want to feel down. You want to feel sad. You want to, in this movie, you want to experience that, that just the, the terrible things that are happening to this man. I mean, he was at the top of everything. He was famous. He was He was the deal. He was rich. And now that's all gone and he screwed up his life and everything's ruined and everything's going wrong. And in a way, seeing that on film, and I know catharsis theory is probably discredited, but it's it's very cathartic. It's very important that you're able to look at this and go, oh, my God, on some level, at least it's not me. Well, and, you know? and so if you're if you're looking for an uplifting moment, especially if you're looking at some of these films like Requiem for a Dream or The Wrestler. You do sit there and go, man, my life is actually much, much better than this guy. So it is very uplifting. But there's nothing wrong with a catharsis in film, Matthew. I don't know why you would say why catharsis theory would be dismissed. I was thinking in terms of psychology, I believe they say that catharsis theory is no longer uh, at the top of the thing. But I don't know. I think you can have I think you can have an awakening of sorts. You can Mm -hmm. have a what some people might uh, deem a spiritual moment. Um, mm-hmm. when you watch a film, you can have literally, and we've talked about this before and you hear people talk about it all the time. That was a film. That was a TV show. That was an interview. That was an exchange. That was a meal that changed my life mm-hmm. for good or bad. And so I think you mm-hmm. can have that in film. I think you can sit there and watch something like the wrestler and go, Oh my gosh, I had no idea that mm-hmm. this person's life was so bad or that this is a reflection of what's going on. In that arena uh, or that my life is as bad as I think it is, is not as bad as that guy. (laughs) And even though he may have been on the top of the charts back in the 80s, he's a nobody today and I feel pretty good about myself. Mm -hmm. And you can also look at something like The Wrestler and you can say this could be a moral lesson for me personally, too, where, Mm -hmm. You know, if I do the things that this person has done, both from the career wise, from the the marriage wise, relationship with children wise to business wise to all of these things, this is a moral signpost of 
what's ahead mm-hmm. that I mm-hmm. could end up like this if mm-hmm. I don't take a lesson from this, if I don't learn a from cautionary it. tale. Yeah. But yeah. ultimately, this is about a guy who dies in the rain. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a man who seems like he's on the verge of death before he jumps off a turnbuckle. Yeah, we don't know that he died. We just, you know, his story ends there. And I feel like, well, in, in my expectation, yeah, he died. It, I believe it, that the movie works best if you say to yourself, yeah, yeah, he died. Well, because what is the what is the. What's the upshot of him? What is the surviving? upshot of him li- of living and fighting the the uh, the sheik or whoever he was fighting? The Ayatollah, Ayatollah uh, Ernest yeah. the Cat Miller, who is in fact a legitimate professional wrestler. Yes, was in the WCW. But, but, but the question is, what is the upshot of him surviving and, and like doing... continuing his life? Like nothing. Hey, man. Yeah, right. Not like really. Said, they, yeah, there's nothing. I mean, he he right. alienated his daughter. The one person who cared about him, he drove away. And just, yeah, it's it's one of those things where he's going out on the top of the one thing he does, and that's horrifying. So this brings us to Logan, right? Yeah. There's probably one phrase that most Wolverine fans would attribute to that character. Snick, snick? No. Oh. It is. Bub. I'm the Bub, best Bub, at what Bub. I do. Mm-hmm. Bub snicked. Uh, yeah, I'm the best at what I do, and mm-hmm. what I do isn't good. Mm-hmm. It isn't and, pretty. Yeah, it isn't pretty. And that's that is kind of what we see with our with our title character played by Mickey Rourke. Yeah. Um we Randy see somebody is very good. We see so see somebody who was that best who was the best at what he did. Mm-hmm. And what he did was wrestle. And he didn't have time for family. He didn't have time for relationships. He didn't have time to have a manager who was looking out for him. He didn't have time for any of these things. And it fell apart on him. Likewise, Logan, I'm the best at what I do. I'm slashing and snick snicking left and right. That, that, that's catching up with him. Mm-hmm. That has caught up with him. He is someone who is not married. The love of his life is gone. Mm-hmm. He's, de- he's broken. He is dealing with somebody who's even worse than he is. Mm-hmm. He has no prospects. There is no hope for his future except maybe, maybe this dream. And even uh, here, um, Randy has a dream of maybe I can get this going again. For Logan, it's if I can get this boat and we can get out in the middle of the water, everything will be fine. That's like this <clears throat> MacGuffin that he's chasing through the mm-hmm. entire film. So right. just in understanding who Randy is, you understand where Logan comes from mm-hmm. in that yeah. same sense. To the point of in that last fight, they both die. Yeah, yeah it, it's certainly – I think the wrestler minus the like father-child relationship – Mm-hmm. It, it embodies more of what we've seen in Logan than any film because it is someone past their prime, like mm-hmm. completely and mm-hmm. just completely broken down and embarrassed with some of their physical ailments. You know, you have uh, the Ram throughout this film taking on and putting on his hearing aid, mm-hmm. depending on what situation mm-hmm. he's in. And then in Logan, we had uh, Wolverine putting on and taking off his like reading spectacles. Right. And also yeah. the fact that. Logan's body is falling apart oh, yeah. because of adamantium poison. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Yeah, so it was it was very interesting seeing how that played out on the physical aspect of the title character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and and you know, um I I really thought this movie was well done in 
Rourke, Rourke's character looking for that happiness because I think there is part yeah. of that in Logan, right? He's definitely searching for it, and and they're slightly well, in separate again. ways because Rourke, right? I think Rourke actually is the happiest when he's not wrestling in this film for that brief section section when he like retires and has that really yeah. good day in the deli and made up with his daughter for like a couple hours. I think that's right. when right. he that's what he's actually wants. And then, but he can't have he, it. But that's but he, not sustainable. It, it, it wasn't sustainable deal, for him. He can't deal right. with that, though. That's the problem. I mean, he the thought whole he thing could. Where he melts down in the deli, and yeah, he right. and his daughter have their can't falling out. He realizes that no, the only place I have is the ring. That's where my family mm-hmm. is. That's mm-hmm. where I belong, for better or for worse. And he knows it's. He knows that it is not good for him. But yeah. I mean, it's the only thing that he can do. Mm-hmm. Even early on, when the kids come and beat on the doors of his van and tell him to come out, and he comes out and fake wrestles and plays with those kids, yeah, that's what he wants. Mm-hmm. He doesn't necessarily want to be a wrestler. He just wants right, to the be fame and celebrity. He wants to be. He wants people to know him, to like him, to go, "Hey, that's Randy the Ram." He doesn't want to be Robin Ramzinski. And boy, uh, that whole sequence with "Can I get one that doesn't say Robin?" that that hit home for me. I've had that discussion in like half a dozen call centers. Mm. My name is Tara. Well, I'm sorry, Tara. They're not going to let you do that on the phone. You know, it's just one of those things where ugh, that one. Do they really make her started. say I'm I'm Tara or do they make her say I'm the Ram or what do they make her say? Well, no, her real name was Stephanie. She just didn't oh, want to be uh, Stephanie. All right. Well, that makes a little a bit different. Bit <laughs> a little yeah, bit yeah. different. But yeah, it's this, it's kind of the same thing. She didn't want to be the Ram. You can't right, right, like, right, right. Thank you for calling. I'm the Ram. But even so. I feel like that that scene and the scene where he's playing Nintendo with the kid and when he's basking in his glory days and able to be the man who was the Ram, but is kind of, you know, just a cool old dude. I think that's what he wants. And he can't he can't sustain any of it. He can't be normal. He can't be the Ram anymore. He can't hang with Necro Butcher. Good God. Oh, that whole fight. Ugh. The hardcore match was just oh that was brutal. that yeah, was that was that was too much blades and everything that holy was, yeah, yeah. crap brutal. um well, the you... guy that he was wrestling does that supposedly I mean for, for as in as much as they you know do stuff in the ring but right yeah that whole sequence was just kind of that's another example of him just wanting to be a part of things he wants to fit into something well do you and think... he's clearly hmm. out of his depth see do you I think I... that he wants to be part of something or do you think he's trying to find that moment where people are like. Ram, 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 and just Ram. like this yeah. is the man. Remember how great it was when you know when he did the the and the you beat the Ayatollah yeah, in '89, and he had to fight with Hulk Hogan and you know all these people. And it's like, uh, yeah, I mean, I think what he's he's doesn't miss wrestling. He misses his fame mm-hmm. and fortune, and I think he's a little right. he more than anything. I think he's bitter about he is living in a trailer or renting a trailer, and his life is is crap compared to what it was. At the at, during the good times, during the salad it, days, the halcyon days. I don't ever read him as bitter. I read him as incredibly regretful. He's the guy who feels like he effed up everything. And everything that he does, he just makes it worse. But I don't feel like he's bitter about it. I mean, he's he's trying. He's trying to be, you know, normal guy at the deli. He's trying to be a dad again, even though he doesn't have the slightest idea to do it. He's trying to be, you know, Cassidy's boyfriend, even though he doesn't have the slightest idea how to do it. It's it's something where he's he's willing. He's just not able in a lot of different definitions of the word able. 
Well, you know, I actually think from watching this and thinking about it is at this point in his life, I don't believe he wants to be the Ram anymore. I don't think he wants to wrestle. Mm. I don't think he wants to do anything. I think he looks back on what he missed as he looks at other people, especially his daughter, and mm-hmm. thinks, I took this too far. I sacrificed too much for this, and it left me with nothing. And mm-hmm. I, from what I read it is, the only reason he he start he continues the wrestling is because it's the only thing he's, he knows and is stable. And then when he loses right. that, he tries... The other hand, he tries to do what he, I think, wanted for his life to end up like. Have a fine job, date a woman that he mm-hmm. loves, have a relationship right. with his daughter. But he didn't set up his life that he could actually function like that. And so right. he, the only way he can do it is, I'm going to wrestle and I'm going to die because it's the only thing I've learned how to do, but it's not actually what I want. Is he? Right. Is he too... Is he capable of doing those other things? Is he capable of working the deli job, trying to build Mm -hmm. a relationship with his daughter, even though it's going to take time? Is he Mm -hmm. capable of that? Is he incapable of that? Or is he someone who's simply too stubborn to admit his faults? Because I think that that third one is something that is a problem with with Logan. I think he's someone who's too stubborn to... Admit his to admit his his right. Yeah, I think his weakness. But I, yeah. I think that's what it is. But I think he is capable of it. I think he right. is capable of the relationship with his daughter and being in you know a relationship with um uh whatever her name is that I can't Marissa remember. Marissa Tomei. Uh, and but he is so unfamiliar with it that he only gives it one try. In the moment it fails, right. that one time he's just like, "Well, I obviously can't do this, so I'm done." Right. But if and like in reality, that's not what anything, right? That's not like how general relationships work. But if you're not used to that situation and you're, mm-hmm. you've gone this far in your life with not having it and being quote unquote successful by basically literally just surviving without it, then right. you think, well, I had it for a second. I screwed it up. Uh, I, I obviously can't back. do it. Yeah. So, well, and at the has, point of this film, Mickey Rourke is 55. I don't think they ever tell us how old Randy is. But if we assume that Randy's that same age, if Randy's 55 and his salad days are 20 years behind him, is it a question of can't or is it just a question of so set in his ways, so you know, used to this, this makeshift, I sleep in the van because I have to drive long distances to get to the gig and then come back and... I accept this because when I'm in the ring, I'm, I I can be the Ram, but then I come home and my house is crap, but that's okay because I get to go be in the ring on the weekends. I mean, is it a question of capable or is it a question of just unwilling to change his habits? Well, I mean, that's, that's the question that I had is, yeah. you know, is he, yeah. is he capable? Is he incapable? It, it, has he just given up? And to me, it feels like, when watching a lot of this, it's like you just give up too easily. Mm-hmm. And I wonder yeah. if if that is his inability to stick with something is what ultimately put him in his position. If he's not, you know, we don't know a lot about contracts or things that went on. Mm-hmm. But was he just not willing to negotiate a contract? Was he not willing to fight harder? Was he not willing to 
I mean, he just seems like he's given up at this point mm-hmm. in the in the movie. <clears throat> well, it's so easy. I mean, there's nothing glamorous about his life no. as portrayed in this yeah. movie. No, no, no. no. And, and it really, especially in the last scene when he's decided after his blow up with his daughter that that's done, when he has his uh, tiff with Stephanie in the club mm-hmm. and even when she comes back and he still says this is this is essentially all I got you hear those people like this is this is yeah. this is no matter what I do essentially they're like going to love me mm-hmm. i think that he's so used to that praise from all those people from like right. oh no matter literally whatever i do in this ring these people are always going to be by me they're going to be my fans i mean they're still here after 20 years of me not being on top you know uh it's so easy for me to get that love that it's he doesn't have to really work for it you know i think he just became so entrenched in that Mm -hmm. lifestyle and feedback that it was just so hard to do anything that took work on his end yeah and he keeps i mean we see things where he'll make the effort and then he'll fall back into Mm -hmm. some you know a dumb habit that changes everything again and i wonder you know I, i i think steven is right the whole point is that he doesn't really follow through on anything. He doesn't put the energy into anything, but somehow that makes it more tragic that he keeps failing because he, he tries for a minute or two and you figure that's his whole life. That's, I mean, that's his whole life. That's what brings him to a trailer park in Passaic, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And you know, ugh, it's, it's, it starts on a tragic note. You know, you're locked out of your crappy little house because you forgot to pay rent. Mm-hmm. How much does that suck? There have been a lot of reactions from the wrestling community, especially from professional wrestlers after Vince McMahon saw the film. He called Mm -hmm. up Baranofsky and said that this was a life-changing film for him or that he really enjoyed the heck out of it. Um, Mm -hmm. Bret Hart said that it was a good film, but it was a dark misrepresentation of the business. Uh, Mm -hmm. Rowdy Roddy Piper uh, said that he became very emotional for for the film and could see himself as, as Randy. Um, there were some others that say it was strong. Uh, Jim Ross, who was the play-by-play commentator, uh, said that it was a really strong d- dramatic film that depicts how people who are obsessed with their own lives and their careers can self-destruct. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it seems like there have been mixed reviews from the wrestling community on this on this movie. Well, and even I mean, even the negative parts, even like you know, Hart is saying that yeah, they really played up the dark and evil parts. But there's a lot of truth in it. I think Mick Foley had said something to the effect of this is one of the most realistic backstage portrayals he had seen. Hmm. I mean, the, the the bits backstage, I understand Aronofsky did a little bit of just uh, kind of the what is it where you make up your own lines? Ad lib. Yeah, improv. the improvs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's it, some of those backstage scenes, the scenes in the, the locker the rooms lockers, were like, yeah. OK, here's your point. You know, come in and do your thing. And. When those guys come in and they're having, I especially like that big discussion at near the beginning where they're all like, okay, this is happening. This is happening. And they're all like, wait, you're working the leg. Oh, we can't work the leg. All of that stuff, you know, as, as a, a wrestling nerdicon, that all feels really cool and really authentic. And even when you have somebody who's, you know, like Hulk Hogan said, oh, this was supposed to be a movie about me. Yeah. But then Hulk, <laughs> Hulk Hogan also said that about the Manchurian candidate. Heidi and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I think Hulk so you Hogan can't take everything. I think Hulk Hogan was he the one that he went on to uh, Howard Stern and said this movie was about me, and then Aronofsky's mm-hmm. yeah. like, "There's no way this movie was about you." Yeah, this you. was never yeah. this was never about you, Hulk. 
but it feels very Hulk, doesn't it? An over. I can see that. Sure. Or um, or um, not the one that uh, sells the Slim Jims, uh, but the other one who was. Oh man, he used to have the big like uh, half mask that he used to wear on his face, painted on, and he had his hair all boofed out. I I don't know the wrestlers. I just remember like from the eighties. Maybe that's who it was. Uh, Sounds was, like you're describing the barber. The Macho Man is the one who sold. Yeah, Macho, Macho Man, Man was himself. the was the Slim Jims, Hulk Hogan, and who did you say? Brutus Beefcake wore a half <laughs> mask because he was in a yeah. This was like his real name no, is no, no, Ed no. Leslie. This was uh, painted on his face, but maybe that maybe that is. Oh, him. that would be the Ultimate Warrior. That's oh, who yeah, it is, yeah, the yeah. Ultimate Warrior. That's who I who I thought uh, when I was watching this. Now I don't know what happened to the Ultimate Warrior, but you know. Ultimate Warrior passed away a couple of years ago, had a heart attack. Ah, okay. Well, there you go. Kind of uh, follows along with, with that. So, yeah. in fact, he... So uh, did Macho Man. Macho Man passed mm-hmm. away a few years ago, had a heart yeah. attack. Yep. Uh, yeah, he passed away in 2014. So, there you go. Ultimate Warrior. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, that's who I that's who I saw <laughs> Mickey Rourke's character as, or at least just from my that. memory of 80s wrestling, right? Yeah. But, you know, we well, were that's, talking... That's the good part about the Ram is he's one of those characters. I think he draws on a lot of things and... You could feel like when they say, you know, Wrestle Bash 3, mm-hmm. you could see him fighting Mr. T or Rowdy Roddy mm-hmm. Piper doing mm-hmm. things at WrestleMania. And that, I think, is the the success of the film for people who are nerdy into that stuff. Uh, well, we were talking a couple of weeks ago, Matthew, about the uh, the wrestling uh, tournament that just went on. And uh, what's his name? The uh, Undertaker, who just mm-hmm. retired. How old was he when he retired? Undertaker, I think, is 56. So he's in that same range as, mm-hmm. as someone who you yeah. would know from from this film as being, you know, starting his career in the in the 80s or something because he was in the ring for 30 plus years. Yeah. And, Taker uh, started. He was started as the Undertaker in 1991. Mm-hmm. And, and he was around I, before that, though. Yeah, he was around. He was uh, mean Mark Callis as one of the skyscrapers before that. Mm-hmm. But. You know, he's actually 52, rather, forgive me, not 56, but so he's younger than I thought. But, you know, this is something else that I looked up during this. You know, the guy who's like, uh, can't really run Mm -hmm. that guy. That's Necro Butcher. Do you know how old he is in this film? I don't know. 34. Wow. That old, that bald man who looked like he's been dried in the sun and beaten to death with hammers. That is a 34 year old man who has spent his life. In the hardcore wrestling ring. He calls himself Necro Butcher, so that'll tell you how he wrestles. And that match with with uh, Mickey Rourke is actually based on the s- insane, stupid, crazy things that Necro hmm. Butcher is supposed to do in because the Because here, what I'm looking at in the uh, IMDb, Dylan Keith Summers was born mm-hmm. in 73, so he's older than 34. He's, he's older than 34. This movie's eight years old, nine years old. Okay. He's 43 now. Oh, okay. Yikes. All right. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting. I read in, in Rourke, he just boxed for like a little bit in the mm-hmm. 90s. He was never, mm-hmm. he never like did, he was never like a wrestler. No. Wrestler. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's what I thought. But he, apparently he has some in with the community because he said the reason he ultimately signed on to do the wrestler is because Aronofsky gave him the permission to rewrite the Rams dialogue and put in his own like spin on how he would actually talk. And really? So that, yeah. So he and how Rourke would really talk. Yeah. Yeah. And how so how, yeah. And, and how yeah how that would go. So they gave him the ability to rewrite all of his lines. I thought that was wow. interesting. 
Now I wonder. I, I how hear. Much I, of his... I sometimes hear that Mickey Rourke is a joy to work with. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 he's like the Stanislavskian crazy deep yes, into his is. his craft guy. Yeah. Did we know if the Marissa Tomei sequences had improvisation to them? Because those felt really, really good. I too. don't. I I never saw anything that those their, were their fight. Their fight where she's like, "You're a customer. I don't ever." Oh God, that felt too real, man. Uh, the only thing I ever saw that was improv was the backstage stuff and when they filmed at the mm-hmm. deli mm-hmm. him interacting with yeah, customers. Yeah. As far as production notes go, that's those are the only scenes that they say were improv. Yeah. A little a little bit less. Uh so I've watched Aronofsky films in a strange order where mm-hmm. I started right. with Black Swan and then we watched Pie and then I watched Noah and now I'm watching The Wrestler. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting. Have you have you, either of you watched Black Swan? I have not. It's on my to-watch list, but unfortunately, yeah. like many of Aronofsky's films, as we pointed out, yeah. are dark and deep, and you have to be in a mood to watch them. Yeah. And I just yeah. haven't got into that mood yet of, <laughs> I don't know, self-loathing. <laughs> I yeah. don't want to watch that movie. I, I watched it specifically because someone said it reminded them of The Wrestler. Which, and I haven't watched Black Swan for probably a handful of years now, but... Mm-hmm was weird watching the wrestler especially from the cinematography and just the overall idea of this character and especially the, the ending is it is nearly exactly the same the of, parallels yeah of the of the structure and that yeah, ending are just incredible is, and um and it's interesting thinking about a black swan where you have the ram and the wrestler who pretty much drove himself into this lifestyle mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. in black swan the main characters uh Nina. Yeah, her, she has been pushed in this lifestyle by like her super controlling mom, and to watch mm-hmm. her like psychosis break in that film, and kind of think about, uh, well, you know, what kind of saying about both the things is interesting. Uh, what has always stuck with me with Black Swan is the cinematography, and especially, mm-hmm. and we see it, uh, especially at the beginning of the wrestler, is the follow along as your main char- character walks forward from directly behind them so you're just mm-hmm. seeing the back of their head which in the wrestler for most of like the first 15 minutes you barely see Rourke's face you're mm-hmm. just following him from behind yep. and that's the same yep. way Black Swan is and it's it has this oh um I kind of thought of it like a French new wave ish type of editing where yeah. you're just following and it's cut scene like in, the person's still in the same location but they're cutting in between locations like right. uh Trousseau's uh, We Drive the Car in France movie. It's the 400 very, Blows. Nah, it's not that one. It's the, uh, it's the other Bicycle one. Bicycle Thief. Um, no. Is that what it's called? No. What it's, all did Truffaut do? It's, it's one of them. It's the one yeah. with the American girl in, or American man in France, and they drive the car. I'm all the it's, it's, it's the really big... Uh, it's, maybe it wasn't Truffaut. Nope, I'm thinking of one or the other. No, Breathless. Sorry. No. Nope. Oh, okay. Breathless. Yeah, Breathless. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, that's one of the big sequences in the beginning mm-hmm. of them driving the car and it's just cutting, cutting, cutting in between mm-hmm. sequences. And it is really reminiscent of what is being done in The Wrestler and Black Swan, which was interesting because then I looked up to see if the cinematographers were the same and they're not. And they were done uh, shortly, one right after another. Uh, mm-hmm. The director. The, Director of cinematography who did Black Swan has done a few of other um, 
Aronofsky films, and then the one who did The Wrestler went on and worked with Rourke again, actually, in Iron Man 2, and has done uh, some bigger stuff there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Where Randy the Ram is resurrected as a Russian. Yeah. Exactly, yeah, with whips. Randy so, the Russian Ram. So The Wrestler, 2008 film, uh, had a budget of, of uh, what is it, $8 million, I want to say? No, sorry, very, $6 million. very small. $6 million. They shot it in 40 days. Yeah. At the point where I honestly think that Mickey Rourke was not really considered an, uh, a big draw, a big draw, right? Mm-hmm. So they were able to get him probably pretty cheap and really his portrayal in the wrestler really brought him back and got him a lot more attention and probably landed that Iron Man role for him. Mm-hmm. What oh, was, sure. what, were, what were the big movies for Rourke before this? Cause I went through his IMDb film some filmography because i really only remember him he, like i knew he played he this did, and it was like an iron man nine and, then, and a half weeks nine and a half weeks is probably his I best believe. known one um, uh, i know he was in wasn't he in the outsiders i don't he was one of the one of the kids who showed up in the midst of the outsiders i want to say yeah. with uh thomas howell and patrick framistad and mm-hmm. he was in diner i know mm-hmm. um, is he, was it wasn't he, was he in, in one of those oh yeah he was in sin city films? Yeah. In a new Sin City, but that one wasn't a whole lot while before like the rest there wasn't. Or is that movie made like earlier that? than I remember? Oh, what now? 2005. Let's look here and see what he's got. Uh, he was in 1941. Right, Flop. that's a terrible movie. Uh, <laughs> he was in a movie called Rape and Marriage. Uh, terrible movie. Terrible movie. Uh, he was in Heaven's Gate. Big flop. Terrible movie. Uh, he was in Body Heat. Mm. Ooh, I liked Body Heat. That was that was the one I was thinking. Was that a Polanski? That was Lawrence Kasdan uh, on that. Um, Kath- let's see. What Kathleen else? Turner. Diner, you say. Yeah, Body Heat was the Kathleen Turner William Hurt movie. Okay. Um, nine and a Half Weeks, Barfly, uh, Wild Orchid, Johnny Handsome. Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man. <laughs> and it's Buffalo as we go 66. through this list, the reason I ask, oh, oh, why was this considered a resurgence of Mickey Rourke? Because none of those movies ring any of the slightest of bell, besides like Sin City. Watch Nine 80s. and a Half Weeks, and he was, a hot, yeah. he was a hot thing. He was a hot property. He was a big deal after Diner and Nine and a Half Weeks, mm-hmm. and he did another weird one. Um, God, it had a, 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 the Pope of Greenwich Village. Greenwich Village. Yeah, that was, was before a, Body Heat, yeah. He was in a big deal in that, mm-hmm. and he was one of those, you know, hot young actors. And of course, again, even then, he was method guy who would totally disappear into his stuff. He did that Lisa Bonet movie too. What's the one oh, that got yeah, her yeah. fired from the Cosby Show? Oh yeah, I forget what that one was. That was that was uh, a '90s film. That was like '87, '88. I was, was still it? in high school. Yeah, because I watched it with my mother, and I only watched movies with my mother when I was in high school. I know what it was. Is about the voodoo thing, and he was yeah. A, Angel Heart. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And he was a detective and Robert De Niro was the literal devil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not a bad movie. Not a good movie, but not I mean, a bad movie. I mean, he hasn't been. Oh, yeah. He, he did one time in Mexico. Yeah. He hasn't. Yeah. He hasn't been out of the scene. He just hasn't been in a lot of high profile movies. Ah, uh, yeah. I understand. Because, I, I mean, if you look at his, I mean, he he's was... basically has a film a year since 1978. Yeah. So, you know, he's he went been working. From being. He went from being the cool young leading man 
to your ensemble guy who would do weird stuff on the sidelines. Yeah. Because, mm. you know, in the in the 80s, I think Mickey Rourke was one of those guys who are like, he could be the next, I don't know, William Demarest. He, I remember he and Tom Cruise and Patrick Swayze and those idiots were all, you know, the the new hotness in the 80s. And then he just sort of slid into these weird, esoteric, wacky things. And people started talking more about what he did in his real life and yeah. how he was unusual. And nine and a half in, weeks look tame. Right, right. And nine and a half weeks is not a tame film, by the way. Don't watch that with your mother. <laughs> makes it makes his uh, portrayal of uh, makes his portrayal of uh, Marv in uh, Sin, City Sin City look like yeah, a really nice subtle. guy. You know? oh. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But his his Marv is the one thing that I like about Sin City. I don't mm-hmm. like the book. I don't like the movie. But Marv makes parts of that movie totally watchable. I mean, you can't take your eyes off of his Marv. And it's a terrible movie, and don't ever watch it. And if you ever have to watch it, don't watch anything that doesn't have Marv in it. And for the love of God, if you see Sin City 2, I want you to run. Yeah, Sin Get City 2 is not as good. As My wife actually can. likes Sin City. Really? We came out of that, and I was like, oh, and she's going to hate this. And she's like, ah, oh, it wasn't bad. Huh. I was like, okay. <laughs> Interesting. Taste. I, mean, um, I was interested. Things. There is a reason they were able to keep the budget down for The Wrestler is because they – were able to use Sweet Child of Mine by Guns N' Roses for free. <laughs> and then they got uh, Bruce Springsteen to write the song, mm-hmm. which would go on yeah. to win a Golden Globe for right. absolutely free. Because right. he's like friends with Rourke, and Rourke just wrote him, wrote him a really long <laughs> message, like a, a letter. Dear Bruce. Yeah. yeah. Can you fix my dear movie? Dear the boss. Dear the boss. We need to win some awards, and we need some great music to go over the credits. Uh oh. Please I'll write a buy song. buy you a beer someday. Oh, yeah, it was great. And there's like a whole story of uh, Aronofsky being really nervous uh, meeting Bruce Springsteen because he was on tour like backstage and he played him part of the song. And uh, it was really interesting. And actually, the music for the credits also reminded me of Logan, uh, mainly because mm-hmm. it was like an old guy singing a quasi country song. Yeah. Because <laughs> Logan has Johnny Cash uh, in the yeah. credits. Yeah. It was really nice. And I don't really know Bruce Springsteen music that well. And uh, I haven't listened to Johnny Cash a whole lot either. So I kind of thought, is this Johnny Cash singing? It wasn't. It was Bruce Springsteen. As I was finishing up The Wrestler. How can you have not listened to a lot of Johnny Cash or Bruce Springsteen? I know. It it is is quite the quandary in my life. You need to go get the Born to Run album right away. Is that Bruce? That's Bruce Springsteen. And then you need to get um, probably the best of Johnny Cash. There's a good album that has... um, Yeah. Uh, when the man comes around, that's a fantastic rendition. There was a after Logan, I got on Spotify and started listening to a lot of Johnny Cash. It's oh, pretty okay. good. All right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, listen to the man comes around. The only thing I know about Bruce Springsteen is that he's from New Jersey. Yes, yeah. And he I think is, that's the whole thing, Jersey, right? It's like right. he is New he Jersey, is New right? Jersey. Okay. <laughs> yes, yeah. he is the embodiment of New Jersey, and anybody listening from New Jersey. We're sorry. I think we probably. Agree. <laughs> I don't think. Yeah, I mean, everyone, all New Jersey movies know, seem man. to I mean, like. Shout out Bruce does like a, a concert like every weekend or every other weekend, and just fills the stadium. Yeah, yeah. I mean, kudos to him. Sweet, sweet gig. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so I'm, you know, like as we've talked, Aronofsky is a downer of a creator and of a director. Well, I don't think you're going to get too many oh, comedies yeah. from him. No, 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 which is fine. Like we have enough comedy directors. We don't need another one. Yeah, he, uh, I mean we don't we don't need an Aronofsky take on like The Hangover. 
No. I think. Oh, that would be so <laughs> disturbing. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awful? Well, actually, it might be wonderful. It might be just the, the greatest thing ever. But but he, but he he is able to analyze people and show them in situations that other directors aren't able to and kind, you know, and show people who are not handling their lives in the best manner in some redeeming light a little bit. At least he's able yeah. to show why they are acting the way that they're acting. And maybe that can give you insight into people, you know, in your life that mm-hmm. may be acting a certain yeah. way mm-hmm. that they are acting. Yeah. Yeah. Which and is you, a good, you could quality. You, if I honestly feel like if you saw Pam or Randy in a different movie, I think there would be more of a, a there'd be an entirely different feel. Some, some directors you'd feel like they were pointing and laughing some directors, you'd feel like, oh, this poor exploited woman and this poor stupid man. But here you kind of feel like there's there's a, a, a closeness to it. It feels like we are in their lives as, you know, peers or at least invisible evil people watching their lives fall apart. And it doesn't feel like they're being mocked or judged. It feels like these are just average people doing their thing and their thing happens to be wacky. And I kind of like that. One thing I, I thought that The Wrestler did better than back Black Swan, just because they're so similar, it's hard not to compare the two, is mm-hmm. throwing in uh, Marissa Chomay's character and mm-hmm. showing mm-hmm. how... Because she's essentially in the same boat as the Ram, where she is in this profession that mm-hmm. has more... Uh, fame and money being given to the younger people and they are both kind of washed up and but I do wish that could have been explored a little bit more it definitely was in the beginning which set up the relationship of uh, of Randy and Tomei's Pam Pam no her name is first off her name is Cassidy Cassidy is her stage. Oh, right, 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 Pam. right, Pam. Yeah, her, the, when Pam. they go shopping, he's like, do I call you Cassidy right. or do I call you Pam? Just Pam. Like, Pam. Right, yeah. Pam. And uh, seeing Pam how Pam. she Pam. dealt with aging more. I guess they do at the end when she's, it seems like she's just done when she leaves yeah. the club and goes to find Randy at his um, 20th anniversary of the beat down from sheet town. I don't know. I'm trying to make a wrestling term. Um, it seems like she boxing. was done. That's a Muhammad Ali thing. I yeah, yeah. 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 And so I guess you could look at it that way. If that is her yeah. intentions and how well, a person in a similar situation could handle it. It's another example of, you know, the, the actress in, in this movie, she was 44, 45. And if you think about, you know, for, Forty-four, she looks amazing. For fifty-five, he still looks amazing. But comparatively speaking, we see other wrestlers and we see other dancers in this film, and you can definitely see that parallel of they used to be the new hotness, they used to be on top of the world, and now they're just relics. And mm. uh, that really, to me, feels like the basis of why she responds to him the way she does. Because the first time we see her. He walks in and interrupts a bunch of kids who are giving her crap for being old mm-hmm. and nearly beats the crap out of them, I think. But yeah, 
it's it's I think it's there. It's a lot more subtle than I would have preferred as well, though. Do you have a uh, do you think that there's a different perspective based on your own age when you're watching this movie? Oh, God, yes. Oh, yeah. Because I saw this movie when I was 38, 39 for the first time. And I, I, I really felt like I, this movie was just right in my wheelhouse at that age. This is a movie where I'm like, I'm almost 40. This movie really feels like it's talking to me personally. And with almost a decade on it, I can look at it and see, yeah, I know how I felt that. But now I don't necessarily... I don't necessarily feel the exact same way. It's still a great movie, but I feel like maybe I've kind of aged out of that point where the, the, I wonder, the midlife do, crisis appealed to me. Maybe. Do you – well, I mean he's not really having a midlife crisis. He's having an end-of-life crisis. But I wonder if <laughs> well, when you looked at the movie when you were 38, if you're like, oh my gosh, this movie's speaking to me. Now you watch it today and you're like, yep, buddy, I know right where you're coming from. Oh, I still see it. I, honestly, the last time I went through it today – uh, I really kind of felt more for Pam than anybody else because I hadn't really paid attention on previous viewings to that moment where she does chuck it all and get in her crappy car and drive halfway across the state to try and tell this guy, okay, you do mean something to me. Don't, don't kill yourself. Don't do anything stupid and gets rebuffed and just leaves. And I just felt so bad for her. You You feel like, what is she going to be like after realizing that she couldn't stop him from killing himself in the ring? Do you think, uh, Zach, you'll look at this differently when you're 20 years older? Um, you know, you, you think you, I would. I mean, just because I think you look at most entertainment and uh, yeah, you know, content like Zach Jr. down and say, Boy, <laughs> let me tell you about this movie I watched. Okay, because I you know, you, I just age. have more, I would have more life, but I think, I think one of the, the joys of being able to look critically at a piece of art is you can understand what it means and hopefully you can gleam what the message is before, uh, it's super applicable to your life so then that you can, you know, make the adjustments so you don't make those get locked out of your now, trailer. <laughs> make those adjustments now. But even at 25, you have the context to understand loss and that feeling right. that you don't belong and the feeling that you're never as awesome as you think you were and that maybe you need to go do something else with your life. I mean, even at 18, 19, 20, I think you understand that to some degree. Mm. I just feel like maybe uh, I'm an old soul, Stephen. I think you are, Zach, but I think that there are a lot of, if you were to have, uh, if you were to take a, you were how old in 2008? Uh, I was uh, 19. 19. So if I were to sat (laughs) a young 19 year old Zach down to say, here, watch this wrestler movie or said, Hey, there's a new wrestler movie down at the movie theater. You should go see it. You'd probably go, I don't want to see a bunch of old people complaining about (laughs) old people stuff. Besides wrestling. That's probably how I actually. I got to go see Vampire. Steven can do a really great impression of me at 19, considering I was like in his class every day of the week. (laughs) You were too quiet, I think, at 19. When you were in my classes, you were too, you were very, very quiet. quiet. And then literally over the summer, you grew six inches. <laughs> you came back to my class. I'm like, oh, my God. Look how tall you are. I think you didn't grow like six inches over I, the people summer. People tell me that. I, I, my I my perspective didn't did. seem to change. I think you did. 
So, yeah, no, but I, I think younger people would watch a film like this and they might enjoy it because, oh, there's boobies or, oh, did you see the wrestling move or, oh, look at those old people, how gross. But I don't think that they would look at a film like this and really get, get that, get that, what it means to be end of life and sit there and say, man, I've wasted it all. Mm-hmm. Because when you're 18, you're like, what do old people know? I'm on, I'm going to go out and control the world. Mm-hmm. And you have that attitude and you have that bravado and especially for men so full of testosterone, mm-hmm. the piss and vinegar that they want to go out and rule the world. And no matter what anyone tells them, they're not going to listen because you're old. I'm young. Right. I'm the new you. Get out of my way. So right, I, right, I, right. I think that as you mellow out with age, that you have that different perspective. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think that maybe in, I think it'd be interesting to do a, a retrospective in 20 years. <laughs> we all get back together in 20 years and we rewatch all of the films uh, from Zach on film, year, but it'll just be called Zach 20, on film 30, 20 years so. later. 20 years later. And oh we'll watch God. all the films again <laughs> and we'll bring in my kids and Zach's kids and Matthew's kids and we'll we'll sit down and make them watch the films. Yeah. And see what the reaction is. Because well, my I, kid I bet will it would be in be... her 30s in 20 years, and what? I don't think she's going to want to be a part of it all. She might oh, be. she will be. She'll be out of. She'll be out of the the. I know it all 20s. That'll be fine. Yeah, she'll have the realization of, oh my god, I'm 30. What am I doing with yeah. my life? <laughs> See, you keep saying that. I never had that. Oh my god, I'm 30. What am I doing with my life? Thing. We all now, have I had it that. At our own oh my age. god, I'm 40. Yeah. Should should I own a house yet? Thing. But even that was more of a nah. Uh, you, you know, especially there's such a, um, I think especially when I'm 19, I wouldn't have probably nailed down the me- message of the wrestler. Cause I think college kids certainly have the, he's about to break out the millennials. Yeah, the, 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 uh, no, 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 yeah, no. What's, what's the new one? Generation Z. I don't think it's a generational thing. I think it's, it's definitely looking back on how I acted in college and how I see people especially in like the art mm-hmm. departments mm-hmm. and the creative fields being like i'll show you what real art is i'll make something edgy and uh guess you, what every every generation says I, 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 I'm, I'm saying that's what i'm saying i think it, it's just like those especially those fields mm-hmm. like we know what's real art yeah. and i i think you can definitely miss this movie's point if that's your thing, because he was like chasing that, right? He's like, yeah, yeah. I'm going to be the thing. Yeah. I'll always be the thing. If you really want to get depressed and, and it kind of, and, and not to be weird or anything, but if you really want to watch a movie that kind of, that ties in with the wrestler, watch a movie called, it's a documentary called after porn ends. And it's about porn oh, stars. Netflix all the time. Yeah. It's about porn stars and what happens to them when they've aged out, washed out or drugged out mm-hmm. or just had the come to Jesus moment. Of of their life and their industry and really look at how their lives have changed in that. And I bet if you were to ask them when they were 18 years old and, and doing porn, you know, think about their future. And it's like, ah, who cares? I'm going to change the industry. I'm going to be rich. Yeah, blah, yeah, blah, yeah. And then see now what their reactions be. And so it's a really kind of a complimentary film mm-hmm. to The Wrestler if you get a chance to see it. But it's got a lot of naked stuff in it. So I also The Wrestler. Uh, Not as I much as a movie called a <laughs> Yeah, I mean, again, I enjoy the work of Aronofsky. I think he does really interesting things on film. Yeah. And I, I'm, I don't know what his next directorial project will be. He definitely went up in budget last time he did Noah. And I think that was kind of, 
it was iffy reviewed. I think it, it was, was like, like well 60 reviewed. or something. So his next like directed film comes out this year called <gasps> Mother. Oh boy. Upcoming American uh, psychological thriller horror film written and directed by Aronofsky. Stars Jennifer Lawrence, Javier Bardem, Michelle Pfeiffer, uh, Domin Hall Gleason, whatever, however you say his name, Ed Harris, and Paramount Pictures will release it on October 18th, 2017. So it sounds like a horror movie. Mm, a couple's relationship is tested when uninvited guests arrive at their home, uh, disrupting their tr- tranquil existence. Kind of sounds, what was that movie we watched where they went to the dinner party? Oh, and then suddenly the invitation. The yeah, the invitation. We legitimately talk about that movie every three weeks. Yeah. And like, because we were, we were, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. we were coming back from Phoenix and we drove up to, we stayed in, in an Airbnb in New all Mexico. And it was like, and it was like out in the country. <laughs> but all you could see is these tiny yellow lights. Uh-huh. And the, the, I don't say, I've, I have a thought about it. I never say it because that movie terrified Aubrey. But in the morning <laughs> I left, we were leaving. And I said, you know what would have been really scary last night if all these lights, and she goes, red. I thought the exact same thing when we were pulling in. <laughs> I think we've reviewed uh, the invitation here on uh, Zach. Oh, yeah. I think we talked about it because it was terrifying. Yeah, it was so good. If you haven't seen that one, have you, uh, Matthew? No, I haven't. It's on Netflix. I kind of want to based on that description. It's It's on Netflix. It is is so good. Yeah, we don't want to give too much away about it, but people go to a dinner party. Things get weird after that. The invitation. I'll check it out. It's so good. It's super it's low budget. It's so terrifying. So lo- low budget, but I mean, the end psychological bit. Oh, you my realize God. The bigger implication <laughs> of what's going on. It's like, it's, that was one of the best horror movies I've seen. So question as always, did your wife watch this movie? Um. Well, you know, Aubrey's in a period of her life where she's even more tired than normal, oh, okay. which is uh, okay. incredible when they told me she's going to be more tired than normal. Said, Doctor, that's impossible. <laughs> she sleeps. She sleeps so much. She sleeps 20 hours. <laughs> I don't even know how she gets up. To go to work. And uh, she watched a bit of it mm-hmm. and then she fell asleep and then she woke up at a point when um, we, we have our title character doing blow and then mm-hmm. having sex in a bathroom and mm-hmm. she rolled back over and went back to sleep. There you go. Yep. That right. was her thoughts on The Wrestler. All right. Well, what were your thoughts on The Wrestler overall? I really enjoyed The Wrestler. I'm, I'm really happy that I finally had a solid reason that had made forced me to sit down and watch the Aronofsky film. Gives you a better perspective on wrestling? Because, you know, there's always this weird thing about wrestling that I have never been into it. But people are super, super, are super, super into wrestling, and mm-hmm. that makes it interesting to me. Would have been cool to get Justin Robert Young on here to talk about. Yeah, that. I thought about him. Wow, because I know he goes to that thing called like Hood Slam and yeah. stuff, and that kind of reminded me of this because it's like low budget wrestling. Mm-hmm. And so, following him, and then like the Max Landis thing he made two years ago or a year ago about like what is wrestling, mm-hmm. and he like condensed giant storylines from like a decade down into a yeah, mid- yeah. that made it really interesting mm-hmm. to me. So yeah, seeing is definitely a passionate community of people who are fans and who are involved. And I guess for someone who's not really involved with wrestling, it captured that of my idea of what it could be. Mm-hmm. So um, I was happy to read that at least some professional wrestlers thought, hey, this was pretty, this was a pretty good uh, uh, depiction of what happens. Uh, but a few of them were in it, so yeah. you can't think they hated it too much. Uh, and I, like, I mean, like we've talked about, I think Aronofsky is a really interesting director. and I think people should watch his work. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I was really happy to watch The Wrestler. Next week on Zach on Film, we're going to be taking a look at James, uh, one of James Mangold's own films, 310 to Yuma, 
Outlaw Ben Wade terrorizes 1800s Arizona, especially the Southern Railroad, until he's finally captured. Wade must be brought to trial, so Dan Evans, the owner of a drought-stricken ranch, volunteers to escort him to the train. Along the trail, a grudging respect forms between the men, but danger looms at every turn, and the criminal's men are in pursuit. That's Is- James Mangold, 2007's. 310 to Yuma. That's a remake, right? That's a remake of a 1957 That's what film, I thought. That's what I thought. Yuma. All right. Another film that my friends have told me they really liked. You so. haven't seen this one either? No. This, one's on, a really, this is really, really good. I mean, it's a Western. And man, as much as I complain and, and rail on how much I hate Westerns. I know. Isn't that weird? We, watch, we have probably watched more <laughs> Westerns than any other genre on Zach on film. Especially in like the last year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I, we at least watched two well, Westerns. We've got, so we've got two, we've got two Westerns coming up. We've got 310 to Yuma. And then we've got high, Hell or High Water right now. Oh, Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm super excited about watching that. Yeah, that one's really good, too. All right, so that's going to be it for this episode of The Wrestler. Thank you so much, Matthew, for joining on this episode for a film that I'm pretty sure you really like a lot. Yeah, he does. Oh, yeah, very much. Good. Thanks, Stephen. Like always, until next week's episode of Zach on Film, you can head over to Majorspoilers.com, where you can find podcasts done by these two. Uh, They do them all week. There's the Major Spoilers podcast. There's Critical Hit. There's Top 5. There's so many more podcasts. I can't even list them all, but you need to listen to them each every week. Friday, uh, Dueling Review, Stephen Land. Stephen can list all of them. The list goes on and on. On and on and on. And we can do even more, and we can keep all of these shows going when people head to patreon.com slash majorspoilers and sign up. Seriously, you guys, head to majorspoilers.com. I'm sorry, patreon.com slash majorspoilers and sign up today. Something as little as $2 a month. For less than the cost of a movie ticket, you can support these shows and keep them going. Of course, we would love to have every single one of the listeners of Zach on Film. And seriously, if we could get every single one of these listeners out there to can kick in five bucks, the cost of a really cheap matinee at a one dollar theater. Half of your monthly subscription to Netflix. There you go. Five bucks a month. We could hire Zach full time to do Zach on Film. That'd be crazy. If every single listener kicked in five bucks. Well... You know, they all, everyone wants that. I know they do. So head over to patreon.com slash major spoilers today. Check out all the extra stuff you get in return and then click that uh, pledge button and uh, sign up. Patreon.com slash major spoilers. So watch the retune to Unima. We'll be back next week with more Zach on film. This podcast is copyright 2017 by major spoilers entertainment LLC. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.